Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. Good morning. It's a joy to see you all enjoying each other. And for those of you watching us online, peace be with you as well. I'm, I'm looking around and seeing all of our teenagers who are, are finishing their school year and getting several are getting ready to graduate, and it's it's just a privilege to be able to share life with you guys, and we are really praying for you. Um, we are continuing our series on the book of Jonah today. It's been, again, I said this several times, but it's been really interesting to, to pause and slow down with Jonah, because you tend to speed through it. Last week, we were doing the first part of chapter three, and this week, we're doing the second part of chapter three. Last week was when Jonah declared that they were going to be destroyed. And this week, we're looking at the Ninevites' response to that as they heard that message, miraculously heard that message, and turned around and, and followed the Lord. So let me pray for us as we begin. Holy God, we do thank you and we praise you for your love for us. Lord, that you take people who are far, far away from you, and you created a bridge through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. You prepared us with your Holy Spirit even before we said yes to, to your message of repentance. And you now promise to be with us and guide us and lead us. And you pour out your Holy Spirit on us even this morning so that we can listen to your word and not just hear sounds, but that those words can penetrate our hearts. Lord, change us because of your truth, because of your righteousness, and because of your mercy. And Lord, let us be hearers of the word and doers also. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we get started, I'm going to read two passages. I, I, I usually try to do Old Testament, New Testament, or, or a psalm in there, but this time it felt important to read two passages from prophets. One is about Gentiles repenting. The other is about Jew, Jews, the people of Israel, repenting. This is Jonah chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Again, Jonah has gone into the city, and he's, he's now making his proclamation. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent 
and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And now turning over to the book of Daniel, you remember Daniel as a very, uh, an amazing, prophetic, godly man. And he has gotten a hold of the, some of the scrolls of the Old Testament. And he's listening to the law and praying. And God shows him that the people will be in exile for 70 years. He's, he's in Babylon. He was captured by the Babylonians and taken into exile as one of the first waves. So this very, very righteous man begins to mourn and grieve over this punishment of Israel. And this is what he prays. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayers and petitions and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love for, with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and, our, and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, Lord our God, hear the, the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your, your city and your people bear your name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, as we studied this passage, the beginning of chapter 3, we talked about Jonah going into this city with a vengeance, glad that he was able to proclaim that, that there was going to be judgment against the people. And there was this moment that, that was absolutely miraculous, that they heard the word and instantly believed that it was true. The only way that's possible is if the Holy Spirit went ahead of Jonah. God was working in the Ninevites even before Jonah got out of the fish. God was already ahead of him. God had a plan to show mercy to people that Jonah and, and pretty much everybody else in Israel thought was unworthy of God's mercy. God called them to repentance and they repented. They immediately heard that they were in trouble, they had been convicted of their sins, and they, they laid everything down, including the king. He laid every symbol of his power down, every symbol of his control, and said, perhaps if we humble ourselves, the Lord will relent and have mercy on us. 
It's, it's, it's not just them as we, as we think about this act of repentance. And that's one reason why I wanted to use that, that passage from Daniel together. Is that it's not just those people out there that need to repent. It's us. It's, it's, we ourselves are living a life that constantly needs forgiveness. We make mistakes over and over and over. Repentance is not just something you do at the beginning of your walk with the Lord. It's something that should frame your entire life. Martin Luther, when he nailed the 95 theses on the door in Wittenberg, the very, very first thesis, and I didn't even realize this until recently, this is his very first thesis. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. God invites us into the space of repentance, not so that we be, can be loaded with shame and guilt, but so that we can be set free from that shame and that guilt and walk in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, God is the one who, who wipes that away. All he asks for is a humble heart. And we see that humble heart in the Ninevites, and we are invited into that space as well today to find out that repentance brings freedom. I've been reading a book alongside my favorite book by Tim Keller. I've been reading a book by Sinclair Ferguson about, uh, about Jonah as well. And he takes a look at this, at what happens in chapter 3 with the Ninevites. God, as I said earlier, God has been working in their hearts to prepare them for the moment that they hear truth. And all of a sudden their eyes are opened and they see that this truly is true. It's not just some crazy guy coming from out of town. This is the voice of God. And they wake up. Ferguson calls this the, the moment of illumination. It's instant illumination. Suddenly they can see clearly. Paul, when he was talking about his call to the Gentiles, he talks about that he has been sent to open the eyes of the Gentiles. God is able to open anybody's eyes that he wants to. And he's done that miraculously through revival after revival. He can choose that moment when our eyes can be open. We need to be open and malleable to the Holy Spirit, but that, that moment of illumination comes when, when the truth of God hits an open heart, a heart that has been prepared and ready. So after that instant illumination, we see the conviction. They, we see conviction from the king to, to, to even the least. They are convicted of their sin. Now it's very important to remember the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit does. Condemnation is what the devil does. Condemnation is shame and guilt, and it's, it, it wants to destroy you. I can't believe you did that thing. Who do you think you are? You're not worthy of anything. It's this constant condemnation going down into the depths. But conviction is a gift of the Holy Spirit. As, as our eyes are open to the Lord, our eyes are also open to how far away we are from him. Remember the scene in Isaiah 6 where, where Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. What's his first response after he sees God's holiness? It is, I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. 
When he sees the glory of God, he is convicted about his own state. And that conviction goes even to the king of the Ninevites. Here he is in, in, in this, all of his pomp and circumstance, and when his, when his conviction comes, he makes an act of, of what Sinclair Ferguson calls spiritual mourning. So we've had instant illumination, we've had that conviction, and then we go into spiritual mourning. Uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you felt a godly grief, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Isn't that an interesting distinction? Godly grief leads to life and freedom. Worldly grief leads to death. So when you see the king hear this news, instantly, what does he do? He's seated on the throne. He's got all of his robes on him. He's probably got people around him in the court. He's the gold and, and all of the wealth of this king. And when that conviction hits him, he goes straight into mourning. He steps down off of his throne. Remember at the beginning of this book, I said, you know, God calls Jonah to go up to Nineveh, and he goes down to Joppa, he goes down to the port, he goes down into a ship, he goes down to sleep. This king is going down, but it's down in humility. He's going down toward God. He steps down off of his throne. He takes his royal robes off of himself. He lays down all the trappings of control, all the trappings of, of power, and he puts on the, the sackcloth and ashes. He puts on the signs of humility, of poverty, and, and, and of mourning. Think about the blessed are those who are poor, for they will receive, they will receive the kingdom of God. We, we think about how he has poverty of soul. But it is in his poverty that he finds the wealth of the mercy of God. So we've seen this instant illumination. We, we see the conviction of their hearts. We see the spiritual mourning, especially in the king, as he calls for sackcloth and ashes. He also calls for prayer and fasting. And we see in this moment, the fourth step that, that Ferguson talks about is faith and repentance. You see already in this king of the Assyrians, this guy who worships uh, an idol named Dagon, all of a sudden he turns to see the God of the Israelites. He says, who knows, maybe God uh, will yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. Instantly, he turns away from Dagon and toward the Israelite God and says, maybe if this is the one who's going to punish us, maybe he will relent if we let go. He has this mustard seed of faith there. He doesn't even know the God that he's talking about. And yet he believes that it's true. And in his repentance, he says, we have done wrong. We have, he, he realizes, let, he tells the whole nation, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. This is one of the most violent kingdoms in that, in that world. Let them turn from their evil ways and give up their violence. Think about you know, what if we as a country, what if the nations of the world turned from their wicked ways and gave up their violence? What a world that would be. 
Here is this powerful king laying down everything that he had to, to show power and violence, and yet he's willing to repent in faith, in the hope that the God of the Israelites will have mercy. As, as we, we say, we, as we think about the, the Israelites in this moment, they were, they were the ones that were wanting to judge and, and thought the Ninevites were the evil ones. That's where Jonah was. Why should God have mercy on these horrible people? But the amazing thing in that passage in Daniel, Daniel, a very righteous man, had lived a holy way. He'd been on the Daniel fast all of his life. He had not wanted to eat food sacrificed to idols. He had tried to, to do everything they could, risking his life to honor the Lord and, and, and was willing to go to the lion's den to not have to bow down before someone other than the Lord. This man didn't say, those people have done this. His response to finding out about the exile for 70 years was not, Lord, how could you let those evil Babylonians do this to us? His response was, wow, look what we've done. Look how far away from the Lord we've, we've come. And he goes, he's instant illumination when he realizes what's going on. He has conviction that, that, that the nation of Israel is to blame in the middle of all this. He shows spiritual mourning. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he turns to the Lord in repentance over and over. We have sinned and done wrong. We have sinned and done wrong. We've not listened to your laws. We have not taught them to our children. He goes through a whole litany of everything. I only read part of this prayer. All of, Jonah, of Daniel 9, you should read it sometime, is going through all of the things that they did wrong. And then turning in faith to say, God, you are a good God. You are the one who can pull us out of this. You are the one who can rescue and save us. It's interesting to think about how unconfessed sin can eat us alive. We can often be blind to it ourselves. Um, but it, it, it can destroy us even when we're not paying attention to it. Psalm 38, excuse me, Psalm 38 says... My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of my heart. Unconfessed sin can fester in our lives. We don't even realize when it's taking over, when bitterness becomes, uh, you know, if, we're, if we're living in unforgiveness, that bitterness can take root in our hearts. And, and it can cause, it can even cause physical pain. I, I, I've known somebody who was just bent over with pain and that unforgiveness was at the core of that. But God is saying, I'm offering you repentance. Why are we so reluctant to say that, you know, wow, I have sinned and done wrong? We, we want to protect ourselves. We want to say, well, you know, I've, I've got to get together. One of the things I've heard recently from, from younger generations is I have no regrets. I'm like, really? <laughs> wow. Sometimes we have to say, yeah, I really regret that decision. But God's grace can speak into that. Isaiah 30, you may have heard the first half of this sentence, but the second half is really important to hear. In repentance and rest, is your salvation, but you would have none of it. In repentance and rest is your salvation. Here's the gift that God is offering. 
and repentance and rest. Come back to me. Lay down your burdens. I will forgive you. This is the gift that God is holding out, but you would have none of it. The Israelites didn't want to repent and come to the Lord in this moment that Isaiah is prophesying about. They instead wanted to go to Egypt for, for military armaments. They thought that their safety would come from tangible things rather than from the, from the Lord. And repentance and rest is your salvation. The Lord's calling out. Our Heavenly Father is calling out in repentance and rest. But you would have none of it. We are so caught up in trying to, to hide the fact that we are covered in fear and shame. We try to control our outward appearance so nobody can guess what's inside of us. When God is saying in repentance and rest is your salvation. We, we, it, we have to lay this stuff down. And as, we were, as I was watching the video, there's, there's a sentence. I had to watch it three times and write it down because Eric Mason in, our, in the video for today is, it says this powerful thing. We have to have a willingness to, to face the pain of what God wants to do in your life by submitting yourself to him as he cuts away unnecessary things. <laughs> I'm like, I thought that was a necessary thing. Let me read that one again, because I, again, I had to listen to it three times. Willing, we, the willingness to face the pain of what God wants you to, wants to do in your life by submitting yourself to him as he cuts away unnecessary things. Repentance often is like, we, we can even be proud of what we've done. We can be assured that we did the right thing, but God is like, are you ready to lay it all down? Are you ready to let go of the things that are unnecessary? Are you willing to repent and rest in me? That is the offering at hand. But when we are unwilling, when we're clutching that to our, our, our sides, we're going to be eaten alive by our own guilt and shame. God wants to set us free from that. With, with Daniel, you see that, that, that his first step was, was this con amazing confession. He calls on the character of God. There's this moment, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Mason points out that we don't earn, like repentance doesn't earn you forgiveness, but it acknowledges our need for forgiveness. God is not asking us to work that out. He's just asking us to come and ask. When we ask, we shall receive the great mercy of God. That was one of the big epiphany moments for Martin Luther. He went around, he was a monk, and he went through his whole life wanting to confess every single day. And the people, the guy that was his main confessor was like, Martin. <laughs> it, it, it got old because he'd come in every day and try to come up with all of these things. Give me more penance because I, I need to work this out. But he, he kept trying to fix it himself. He kept trying to clean himself up so that he would be good enough for God. And there was this amazing moment of revelation, this instant illumination that he had that even in this whole life of repentance, it was a whole life of repentance, not expecting grace. And suddenly, God showed him it is not by works, but by grace that you have been saved. And he was able to receive that grace and accept forgiveness for all of the things that he had been listing out to God for, for decades. He was able to let go of that and receive the freedom that God offered to him. We often find ourselves in this trap 
of, of either trying to make up for what we've done or trying to ignore what we've done. Neither side of that is going to set us free. What does set us free? Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God that sets us free. It is the gift of God that makes a way through the veils into the Holy of Holies. It's the gift of God that washes us clean. It's the gift of God through Jesus Christ. As we celebrate Trinity Sunday, we think about the way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are at work as we are in repentance. The Father longs to draw us into his arms like a mother hen gathers her chicks. So the Father made a way through Jesus Christ, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed for us. And it is the Holy Spirit who brings us into a place where we can accept, we can give repentance and accept God's grace so that we can gain access to Jesus, so that we can boldly approach the Father's throne. It is through repentance that we are set free, through repentance that we can live a life of joy. Acts 3 says, repent then, Paul is talking to the gathered crowd, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That is my prayer for all of us, that in repenting and laying down all the stupid things we've done, all of the ways that we have hurt people, all the ways that we have rebelled against God and run away, all the ways we have sinned and done wrong, as we lay all of that down and repent, may times of refreshing come. May we learn that repentance and rest is our salvation because our Father in heaven loves us and calls us his dearly loved, beloved children. Let's pray together. Holy God, we do thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are a merciful God, that you are a God who wants to stop the, the violence and bloodshed and brokenness of our world, all of the injustices, but you do not wreak justice on those who come to repent. We are convicted, we are guilty, but we are set free because Jesus Christ himself has paid that penalty. Lord God, we have sinned and we have done wrong, but we, re we return to you, we turn our face toward you, Forgive us, Father, and set us free. Help us to lay down all of the unforgiveness that we've held in our hearts. Forgive us for that. Create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us, not only toward yourself, but toward others as well. The Lord, remind us of your incredible great love for us. It is easy to approach you not feeling worthy, like Martin Luther wanting to, to punish ourselves for what we've done wrong. But you have given us the gift of your own righteousness that you paid for yourself. Holy God, set us free. Show us that, that your righteousness is a gift and that we too can love and have mercy on others as you have had mercy upon us. Lord, prepare our hearts now as we, as we look to the table of com communion as we confess not as perfect people, but as forgiven people, that it is Jesus Christ who makes a way so that we might have the gift of God, which is eternal life. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please rise with me as we proclaim what it is that we believe through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.